Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. In this series, we'll be looking at a few familiar Christmas carols we sing and how they give us a deeper understanding of Christmas and ultimately point us to Jesus. Thanks for joining us this Advent season. So for fear of making some of you upset, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand back up for just a minute. So stand back up just a minute. I promise it'll be short-lived. I thought post-Thanksgiving turkey stuffing, we might just play a little game this morning to get us started. So here's the game. And when I say these things, what you're going to think of is not like, oh, I've heard a Christmas song on the radio. It's like I've intentionally listened to Christmas music on a Spotify playlist or Pandora, Apple Music, YouTube, whatever it is. So if you have not started listening to Christmas music intentionally, go ahead and sit down. Wow. Okay. There, there are some traditional Advent people who only start listening to Christmas music on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I'll just take it that's all of you. Sit down if you started listening to Christmas music after Thanksgiving. Like that's the rule. A few more after Thanksgiving. What about this? Um, you started listening to Christmas music after Veterans Day, mid-November. Mid-November. Yeah? All right, getting thinner. Um, you, you started listening to Christmas music after Halloween. That's like your rule, Halloween. Sit down if you never stop listening to Christmas music. Never. We have some Christmas counselors available after the service for those people that never stop listening. I'm probably an after Halloween guy myself, probably after Halloween. But we've all kind of made that turn, right, to Christmas, except the few of you that sat down first. We've made that turn, and today begins a season of the Christian year called Advent. Jenny talked about this a few minutes ago, but if you're following in your notes, Advent is a Latin term that means coming or arrival. It is a season of waiting, longing, expectation, and hope. The weather this morning kind of mirrored that longing and waiting, right? The season of Advent takes place the four Sundays before Christmas. And personally, I found that by practicing Advent, I kind of was introduced to this at a young age, but uh, it came back to me as I was taught about its depth in seminary. It takes my focus off of the consumerism of the season. Everything I need to get done, the presents I need to buy. And those things aren't bad. I mean, presents and wrapping and celebrations aren't bad, but it, it allows me to focus on Jesus' first advent as a baby, which we celebrate on December 25th, and we wait for his second advent to make all things new. And to put Christmas, to, to put advent at the center of, of Christmas allows us to make the main thing the main thing, and it reminds us. If you're following in your notes, we live between the two advents of Jesus. We live between the two advents. And the best way, I think I can describe this longing, this yearning. I had a conversation with my seven-year-old yesterday. We put up our trees, the lights were on, we put some ornaments on yesterday. And Daniel said to me, I don't think I can wait for Christmas. And I said, I know, buddy, I know it's really hard, but most of life is about waiting. 
And he said, I just want it to be here already. And it reminded me, man, I don't live like that with Jesus' second coming on my mind that often. With this, I can't hardly wait for it. Like a child waits for Christmas. And I believe Advent allows us to do that. It allows us to live intentionally and think about that. And we don't just do it until Christmas and move on. We believe Advent allows us to orient our lives, to live in such a way that we give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission now. Advent can form us to live this day for that day, live now for the not yet. And we believe in this so much that each year we mark the season of Advent as a church family through Sunday teachings. And today we begin a four-week series called the Songs of Christmas. Over the next four weeks, we want to explore the core scripture passages behind four traditional Christmas carols we sing each year. And one of the main reasons I'm excited about this is not just because I love Christmas music, but it's more than that. Music forms our theology. Right, I once heard a quote that said, show me what songs your church sings and I'll show you your theology. Music forms us and it teaches us about the character of God and the story of God that we find ourselves participating in. I'm super thankful for our creative team and for Chuck. When they choose songs, they choose songs that are Jesus-centered, Bible-based, kingdom-minded, rooted in scripture because songs form us. And I believe by spending time with these Christmas songs and the scripture behind them, we can have a deeper appreciation for them when we sing them or hear them on the radio and what they reveal about Jesus, and we can apply them to our lives. Now, this year, again, our creative team created an Advent practice guide. You may have seen these on your way in. You can pick them up on your way out. It's a a five-day-a-week practice guide, and the primary purpose of these guides is to help us slow down and remember Jesus during this season. There's also a companion guide that is online and it has some music that goes with it. So you can go to our website and find that audio companion. The link is on the website. But this first week of Advent, we're talking about the theme of hope. Scotty and Taylor shared that with us. We're talking about hope and the definition of hope to lay over everything that we're going to talk about today. If you're following in your notes, hope is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. It's the expectation of coming good. The word hope in the New Testament is from the Greek word elpis, and elpis means expectation, trust, confidence. The root word means to anticipate and to welcome something. Hope is the expectation of what is guaranteed in the future. This is not usually how we use the word hope in our lives, right? We hope the new recipe turns out good. We hope this is the year Illinois basketball goes to the Sweet 16. We hope we can get through to Ticketmaster to get tickets to Taylor Swift's concert next summer. We hope the chemo works. We hope our spouse comes back. We hope for a lot of things. But biblical hope is not wishful thinking, and it's not optimism. To hope in something or someone is to have a deep confidence and trust in. You can take it to the bank. 
And that's why during Advent, we look forward to celebrating the first Advent of Jesus' birth. And we hope with confidence in the second Advent of Jesus when he returns. So to help us think about hope, we're going to look at the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that we sang earlier. Anybody, is this your favorite Christmas song? Anybody? A few people? It's one of, it's one of mine. And come now long expected Jesus that we sang earlier. We're going to study the scripture behind this that's found in the book of Isaiah. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7. In your black Bibles, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Isaiah, chapter 7, can be found on page 558 of those Bibles. If you have your own Bible, but you don't know where Isaiah is, just go to the table of contents. That's your best friend. Never be ashamed to go into the table of contents to find out where a book of the Bible is. Isaiah, chapter 7. Before getting to our first song in scripture, I want to say a couple things about singing in church because this series is called the songs of Christmas. And I want to do this because I was always the guy. I was always the guy that sat in the back of class with my arms crossed waiting for the teacher to tell me why this is important. And I wonder if there are some people and you either don't sing because you don't know the importance of song Or you do sing, but your understanding of singing is that it's just something we do when we get together. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak into this for just a couple of minutes this morning and envision our church about the importance of singing. The first reason song is powerful and important in our church family. If you're following in your notes, creation and recreation are musical. Throughout the entire story of the Bible, singing is present On the screen, I want to put Job chapter 38, 7. It gives us an inside glimpse of creation. And it says, the morning stars sang together together, and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. I love what Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says about creation. I'm going to put this quote on the screen. He says, the first chapter of Genesis is written in the form of an archaic Hebrew poem. So there was a cadence and a rhythm to the way that God spoke the world into being. It feels very close to a song and suggests that perhaps God sang the world into being so that the world itself could sing of the goodness, power, and love of its creator. Is that good or what? God may have sung the first song in history. And it was creation. And then creation moves all the way to recreation. And in the last book of the Bible, we get a vision of the future. And in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we read, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Song is important because creation and recreation are musical. And we find ourselves in that story, and that leads to the second reason we sing, which is God's people are a people of song. The people of God sing, right? The role of music in worship is biblical. After escaping from the Egyptians and crossing the Red Sea, the first thing the Israelites did was sing a song to the Lord in Exodus 15. 
In the book of 1 Chronicles, singing was part of Israel's formal worship in the tabernacle and the temple. The Psalms is the songbook of Israel. In joy and sorrow, praise and lament, the faithful raise their voices in song. And did you know that in Matthew chapter 6, chapter 26, verse 30, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn together before leaving for the Mount of Olives after the Last Supper. The Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, commands us with this. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. A theologian named Karl Barth in the early 1900s points out that singing is not an option for the people of God. It is essential for the church. I love this quote. He says, the praise of God which finds its concrete culmination in the singing of the community is one of the indispensable forms of the ministry of the church. As followers of Jesus, we are a people of song. The third reason song is important, if you're following your notes, music reaches deep inside us and it touches our spirit. You can probably think of songs that take you back to places in your life, memories that you have that are associated with songs. And we, when we sing our faith, when we describe God's faithfulness or his love or his grace or his provision, when we sing scripture, we internalize it. We remember it. It gets written on our hearts and touches our spirit, the deepest part of who we are. It touches things that other things cannot reach. Music and art can do that. And we're always careful with this. We don't practice this manipulatively, but music can move individuals to a place where their hearts are open to confession and repentance, thanksgiving, adoration, love, or many other emotions that we aren't great at accessing. Music touches deep places. My grandma is 97 years old. She lives in a nursing home. She has virtually no short-term memory. Um, I'm talking like 30 seconds uh, ago, she couldn't remember what I said. When we go to visit her, we usually uh, read some scripture. We take up some old pictures because some long-term memory is there. So in this uh, picture, the video you're going to see, she's holding a picture of her and my grandpa on their wedding day. And we sing to her. That's what we do. And so I just want to show you this video uh, this morning. Playing the piano. Huh? That's Ben. That's mm-hmm. our. That's your great grandson playing the piano. Yeah. You remember that song? You remember that song, don't you? He lives. Do you remember that song? Yep. You know he lives. He lives. in my life. You got it. You got it. Music reaches deep, and it sticks. It sticks. I have been with people a day before they've died unresponsive and sang songs like How Great Thou Art, and they respond. It touches 
deep inside of us. And that's why we sing to place those things in our heart. And four, the fourth reason we sing as a church, we'll finish this up. Music has the power to break the darkness. It breaks the darkness. Music breaks chains. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in prison and they're told, we're told they were praying and singing when their chains were broken and the doors of the prison flew open. And in this room, y'all just need to know there are days when we sing a song and something breaks free in someone's life and they're healed or they're no longer addicted to whatever has a grip on them. During a song, people have given their life to Jesus and repented of their sin. There is power in music and participating in and practicing music and song are critical to our faith. I pray that we're a church that sings and we sing well. That's why we want to spend some time looking into these songs we sing at Christmas. And like I said earlier, the first song is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Originally written in Latin, it takes us back over 1,200 years to monastic life. It was written by monks in the 8th or 9th century, originally a chant. We don't have the music to it, but we had the words to it. And in 1851, a man named John Mason Neal found these words in a book. And he translated it into the song we have today. Just for fun, if you're ever at a trivia night, John Neal also put words to the tune Good King Wenceslas. Free of charge. Neal's an interesting guy. right? He not only founded a nursing order of Anglican nuns, he helped social welfare organizations care for orphans and young women, and he was employed as a college professor. In his spare time, he translated early and medieval Greek and Latin hymns. I thought I was the only one that did that in my spare time, but I found somebody else. You've probably noticed this about O Come, O Come Emmanuel, right? It's a bit of a different Christmas carol. It, uh, it, it has some arcane language to it. It is not celebratory like other carols that we sing. It's not exuberant like joy to the world. The Lord has come or the anthemic hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Both of those songs we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. But the tune matches the mood of the words and it captures the tone of Advent, this longing, aching, yearning, hoping. Here's the best way I can describe the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. If you're following in your notes, it is a guided tour of Old Testament prophecy. It's a guided tour of Old Testament prophecy. If you turn your notes over, you'll see that each verse is a prayer to Jesus under a variety of prophetic names. In verse 1, we see Emmanuel. In verse 2, he is called wisdom from on high. Verse 3, he is the rod or root of Jesse. Verse 4, he is day spring. Verse 5, key of David. Verse 6, Lord of might. Lord, verse 7, desire of nations. We sang some of those today. Most of us probably didn't even know there were seven verses to this song. Every verse points us to Jesus and his promises, and his character. It is a song of hope. And then the refrain or the chorus, it just swells 
with hope and confidence. And the chorus is the answer to the prayer. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, have joy, take heart. He shall surely come. When we, when we sing that chorus, oh my goodness, we're just, it's like an amen to the verses. It will happen. And I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about the first verse in chorus and the scripture it's based on. It's the most well-known verse. It's probably the one all of us know. The verse says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. It's found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. If you're following in your notes, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. And we have to know what it was like 700 years before Jesus was born. Judah and Israel, the kingdom of God's people, has been split in two. Judah and Israel were dark places. They had turned a deaf ear to the Lord and they lived in ways that were contrary to God's good command. They were ruled by wicked kings and they acted wickedly themselves. Isaiah 9 puts it this way. God's people were a people walking in darkness and exile was coming. And sure enough, one of the low points in the history of God's people was exile, the forced removal from their homes to Babylon and Assyria. I want to put a map up just to give you an idea of the distance God's people had to travel when they were taken into exile. And this exile was a removal from everything they knew. Their family, their culture, their food, their way of life, even their faith. One author I read said, to be exiled from one's home is almost a fate worse than death. You lose everything. It's believed Isaiah wrote chapter 7 just before this time of exile. And some scholars believe the later chapters in Isaiah were written during exile. All hope had been lost. And it's into this darkness that Isaiah reignites an ember of hope. We see that hope in a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14. Would you read this with me in the first grade box on your notes? It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Into the darkness, into hopelessness, a prophecy is given. The Jewish people had a belief that God would one day send a unique king from the line of David, and this king would save the Jewish nation and bring God's blessings to the nations of the world. He would proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. This king was known as Messiah, or God's anointed one. The word in Greek is Christ. But I imagine during this time, right, this time before exile and then exile, people are looking at their circumstances and they are waiting and they have lost hope. Sometimes in our waiting, we lose hope too. 
Some of us are waiting for a call from the doctor, the result of a test, the return of a child who has turned from their faith, or a kid who doesn't want anything to do with their family. Some are waiting for a foster child or an adoption placement. Some are waiting for your marriage to be restored. It's hard to wait. It's hard to have hope when the waiting turns into months or the waiting turns into years. And if you're following in your notes, Isaiah reignites this hope by foretelling of a rescuer, a savior, a messiah. And isn't it just, isn't it true? Right? Sometimes we just need to be reminded of what is true because the lies we hear in our head are so loud. And God uses Isaiah to remind his people of the hope they can have in him. More than any other prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah speaks of a long-awaited savior. Isaiah's name even means God saves. He's pointing people to this truth that God saves his people. And in this verse, he reignites hope through the promise of a baby named Emmanuel. It's not a name we hear often today. It's one word in Hebrew, Emmanuel. It's used three times in the book of Isaiah, all pointing to the Messiah, the coming rescuer. It's three words in English. If you're following in your notes, God with us. God with us. Most of the book of Isaiah is filled with judgment. If you sit down and read it, it is filled with judgment towards God's people for abandoning him and chasing their own desires. And that chasing led to darkness over the nation and it led to exile. But Isaiah drops in these hope bombs all over the place and they all reveal God's faithfulness to an adulterous and idolatrous people. And this is important to say, God's promises and his faithfulness don't mean there won't be waiting, right? The people of God, when this prophecy was given, waited 700 years for its complete fulfillment in the birth of a baby born to a virgin who would call her son Emmanuel, God with us. I want to invite you to flip your Bibles over to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Just keep going till you get to Matthew. I wish you all could stand up here and hear the sound of pages of the Bible flipping. That is so good. We'll pick up in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. You can follow in your Bibles or it's on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then would you read this with me in the second grade box on your notes? It says, she will give birth to a son, 
and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years after Isaiah reignited hope, it was fulfilled in this baby born in Bethlehem named Jesus. The baby is named Jesus, if you're following in your notes, because Jesus' name means God saves. Because he will save people from their sin. And there's this, there's a beautiful pairing. You might be wondering right now, well, I thought he was supposed to be called Emmanuel. What is, what is that? Now he's called Jesus. There, there's this beautiful pairing with the name Jesus and the title Emmanuel. Right? The name and the title go together in a significant and beautiful way. The baby is named Jesus, which means God saves. And the role this baby played was to be Emmanuel because the only way God could save his people was by becoming one of us. There was no way we could ever be good enough to make our way up to God. So God came down to us. From the beginning pages of the Bible in Genesis to the closing pages in Revelation, God has always wanted to be with his people. When Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship with God was broken and there was no way they could earn it back on their own. We're just like them. We've all sinned. We all are separated from God and need to be made right with him again. So to rescue a people who could not rescue themselves, to restore the broken relationship and a broken humanity, to be with us, God sent Jesus, Emmanuel. And it's impossible to talk about the birth of Jesus without also talking about his death because the baby was born to die. That was his mission. Have you ever thought about this fact, if you're following in your notes, that fulfilling God's desire to be with us is why Jesus went to the cross? Right? I mean, yes, the cross is where sins are forgiven. The cross is where sin and death are defeated. But if we peel that back, the reason we're forgiven and rescued from sin and death is because God longs to be with his children. The rescue mission of the Messiah was not to overthrow the Roman government. It's way bigger than that. The mission was to dismantle the power of evil and sin and to defeat death so God's children could be with him instead of separated by sin and death. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for our sin on himself. He died our death. And now the barrier of sin and death is removed by Jesus in his death and resurrection. And the way has been opened for us to be reconciled to God, to be with him again now and forever. All that remains is that we trust in what he's done. The decision we make now to follow Jesus has eternal consequences. And that's why Advent is so important. It's an intentional time, a season that allows us to live in the present and look to the future with hope. And if that's true, if that's what this season allows us to do, then there are two questions that are critical for us to answer. The first question, if you're following in your notes, on what do I base my hope? On what do I base my hope? Listen, if we're all honest here, we hope in something. 
right? We all hope in something. We all put our confidence in something. So the question isn't, do you have any hope? We all do. The question is, what do we hope in? Right? We, we've all put our hope in so many things that have let us down. Friends, family, politics, science, medicine, technology, the church. Right? All of those things are like shifting sand because they all change. God is the only unchanging thing in this world and he's the foundation of our hope. So if you're here this morning, Man, if you're here this morning and rather than hope, you feel hopeless. I want to invite you to follow Jesus and experience life with God now and forever. Right? You've tried placing your hope in things or in people and you've been disappointed or let down. And I just, I want to tell you a relationship with Jesus is the only hope that doesn't disappoint. It doesn't mean there won't be trials. It doesn't mean there won't be hurt, but it means you'll never be alone And you can have an expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God who you can have a sure confidence in. So what are you basing your hope on? And even for followers of Jesus, it's a good question to ask because we can get off track and take our eyes off of him and start hoping for things that we see with our eyes in this world that continually let us down. And what are you basing your hope? The second question that we need to answer today, if you're following in your notes, where do I need to be reminded of the hope that God is with me? If you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you find yourself this Advent season, God is with you. In your darkest moments, God is with you. In your highest moments, God is with you. Through his Holy Spirit that lives in you, God is always with you. And the reason we need to be reminded of this truth is because our experiences tell us a different story, right? It can seem like we're walking in darkness or that we're in exile and we are longing for light to break the darkness. Sarah and I have... uh, suffered two miscarriages and two stillbirths. This Wednesday is uh, the 10-year anniversary of the birth of Hannah and Olivia, our twin daughters. I have so many questions of what they would be like, what they would be interested in. And I can tell you, as I think back to that experience, like my experiences told me a different story. I wanted to give up on God. I wanted to give up on my faith. There were days I was ready to do that, but I could not get away from the promises and character of God given to us in his word. I could not get away from them. He is who he says he is. He has done what he said he would do, and he will do what he says he will do in the future. That is where I placed my hope and is the only thing that kept me going. I needed to be reminded of that hope over and over again. And there are still moments in life, right? In parenting and marriage and work. I need to be reminded that God is with me. And for some of you here today, I just, I know it. It's hard to imagine that God is with you. 
Life has not played out the way you thought it would, the way you wanted it to. This past year has brought crisis after crisis or setbacks, and you conclude that God is not with you. You may even think he's against you, or he's apart from you, or he doesn't care about you, or he's indifferent towards you. It's hard to believe God is with you. But Advent reminds us of a different narrative. God is with us. And if Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, then it changes everything. It changes how we live now. It changes how we wait. It changes how we see the brokenness of this world and deal with all of its hurts and disappointments. And it changes how we see the future and our ability to live with a longing for Jesus' second advent. In Revelation 21, The next to last chapter in the Bible, we're given the picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus says these words. Can we read these together, church? It says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We can hope in that promise. It is trustworthy and true. And I love in Revelation 22 how we're told Eden is restored. Everything that was broken is put back together and God's people get to live in his presence again. God with us, Emmanuel. So we want to give you just a couple moments, just a gift of stillness that we don't often get in our busy lives to answer those two questions. First, what am I basing my hope on? Be honest about that. Just be honest. God isn't judging you. Just name it. Confess that to him. Ask him to take the place of that and that he would be your hope. And then the second question, some of you need to answer and it's already coming to mind. Like where do you need to be reminded of the hope that God is with you? What situation are you facing this season? Name that and ask God to remind you that he is with you. Your situation is not hopeless. There is hope. And that hope is a person, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.